director. I spent uh, more than 25 years in Western North Carolina and East Tennessee, and I spent 11 years working with Mission to the World in West African countries, primarily Senegal, um, Gambia, Guinea-Bissau, Togo, and Ghana. Uh, now we're in Burkina Faso, Sierra Leone, uh, and looking to move into Liberia and Nigeria. So um, there's a lot of good work that's going on in, in, uh, in Western Africa among Muslim countries, among Muslim people. And you know, so often we, we hear all the bad news and we say, you know, we think about 9-11 and we think about all kinds of uh, suffering and terrorist attacks and things in Paris that happened and so forth. But the good news is the kingdom of God is really growing among Muslim peoples. There have been more Muslims saved in the last 30 years than in the previous three centuries. So the beauty of God's plan is that he's reaching out and drawing in uh, Muslims. I uh, had the privilege of last weekend being at Church of the Good Shepherd up in Durham and they had a mini missions conference there with our West African friends, and I got to see several of them that I hadn't seen in a while. And it's just wonderful to hear the good reports, the planting, the church planting, the more pastors that are in the villages and in the cities, and the way God is blessing and growing his work. So, as you pray, pray for your missionaries, and certainly pray for God's work uh, in Africa, both west, east, north, south, wherever, central, we give thanks for what God is doing in those places. It's my privilege to come and be with you, and I thank you for the opportunity. And uh, I look forward to uh, sharing with you not only this Sunday, but the next two Sundays, and to have some opportunity there with you. Today, I wanted us to turn, if we may, in our Bibles to Exodus 17, I'm going to read for you the first six verses, Exodus 17, 1 to 6. And then I'm going to jump to the New Testament, and uh, I want to read to you just four verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we'll first of all look, though, at the passage in uh, Exodus chapter 17. We always remember when we pick up our Bibles that this is God's Word. It's not man's uh, idea about God, but it's what God has moved on the human authors and given to them the words, the very words that he wanted us to know. Beginning at verse 1 of Exodus 17. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled and Moses, with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lords and said, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, and take with some of 
the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And then skipping to the New Testament, to the 10th chapter of First uh, Corinthians, beginning at verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Amen. This is God's word. Let's bow and pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come this morning again to look at your word, to ask your Holy Spirit to come and take this word which is before us and bring it to our hearts and minds. We pray, Father, that um, all of the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I guess when we think about Christian, the Christian faith, we often ask ourselves, does Christianity give us any hope of change in our personal behavior? I guess we're more aware of our personal behavior in these days when there seems to be much, so much polarization in our society. But we think, is there any hope of victory over our old nature? Does the Christian faith offer me hope? When you look at Exodus chapter 17, you see the people of God doing something that we do all the time. We see them complaining. They're complaining against Moses. They're complaining about the lack of food and water. They're complaining about their situation. They're complaining about what they lost when they were in Egypt. They're just grumbling and complaining. In the Old Testament, they often complained against their national leader, didn't they? We think of Moses and even Joshua, how they suffered the complaints of the people. And ultimately, we know that they even were complaining against God, as we can see in this passage. But Complaining against political leaders certainly sounds familiar to us in our day. I think the newspaper does that every day, doesn't it? You know, if they do it on the editorial pages, you know, you open up the editorial pages and depending on which newspaper you have in front of you, uh, they, they're blasting somebody. Uh, if it's a conservative newspaper, they complain about the more liberal democratic president. If it's a liberal newspaper, they complain about the former president and the conservative majority on the Supreme Court. So whoever's paper it is, they're always complaining about somebody. In Great Britain, if you've been following some of the politics there and some of their political changes recently, you've seen that the, uh, former prime, that the prime minister who lasted about six weeks had to resign. She had to resign because of the uh, economic chaos that came in Great Britain because of her financial policies and those of the chairman of the exchequer that she appointed. So you see, 
People are always grumbling and complaining, aren't they? We are. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see it in our society. We see it in every place around us. We find that, especially in Exodus chapter 17 and the chapters before, because when we look in this section, we see the people of God in the wilderness and we see them complaining about their situation. The Israelite people were mad. They were mad because they didn't have water. They didn't have any water to drink. Now, you know, this is always a serious problem, isn't it? Water is one of the things we just can't live without. Uh, I went to school in Jackson, Mississippi for three years. Susan and I lived there. And Jackson, Mississippi, terrible problem with water. They can't seem to get enough clean water there. Uh, the rivers flooded, the uh, treatment plants were overwhelmed. Then they couldn't clean the water fast enough to get it to the people in the city. And they've still got uh, terrible, terrible problems with the infrastructure in Jackson because of their water problems. Now that's a city of about 200,000. Can you imagine what it would be for two and a half million people? When the, when the children of God came out of Egypt, remember, they counted, they did a census basically, and there were 600 and some thousand men. So then you multiply that times women, times children, and you're looking, most scholars say, at more than two and a half million people that were out in the wilderness. They come to a certain place and they don't have water and they start grumbling at Moses. If you want to look back with me in the Bible, uh, if you have it open to Exodus, Look at Exodus 15, verses 22 to 24. It said, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they, or Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? They were having all these problems, weren't they? They get to a certain place and there's no water there, or they get to another place and the water is bitter. And they blame Moses and they say, you brought us out into the wilderness and we don't have anything to drink. What are we, what are we supposed to do? Well, you know, Moses called out in prayer and God told him what to do. God said, take this tree. When the waters were bitter, he said, take this tree and throw it into the water and the waters became sweet. The water became drinkable. In Exodus chapter 16, the chapter right before where our text is, it says that the people grumbled and complained and this time they were grumbling because there was no food. And in, in Exodus 16 they say, uh, when we were in Egypt we had lots of meat and bread. Now I wonder if that's selective memory. You know, it, it, when you're in slavery, you know, things are bad. I'm sure they grumbled and complained there. But then they come out in the wilderness and they say, oh, well, with the situation here is terrible. We don't have anything to eat or drink. At least in, when we were in Egypt, we had plenty of food and water to drink. And they say, but you have brought all of the Lord's people out here into the wilderness to die. So Moses is catching all this flack all of this grumbling and complaining against him. Uh, 
in the Psalms it talks about this. In Psalm 78, uh, I'm going to read you verses 17 through 19 of Psalm 78. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. Um, as we just look at, at the psalmist remembering this. Psalm 78, verses 17 through 19. Yet they still continued to sin against God, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart they put God to the test by asking food according to their desire. Then they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? So over and over again we see this grumbling and complaint. We see that the people of God were called to be people of faith, right? That's what we're called to be. We're called to be people of faith. And yet when the people of God go out into the wilderness, they're out there and they're not saying things that people of faith would say. They're saying, God, did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? Did you bring us in out here to suffer? Did you bring us out here to be without everything that we need? And they're complaining and they're upset and they're bitter and they're blaming God instead of trusting Him and asking Him for what they needed. Like, you know, we're always told to be constant in prayer. Uh, they got bitter and angry and attacked God and, and God's representatives in front of them. And they even said, can God provide for us? Now, I'm sure sometimes when you get in a low place, if you're like me, you've said, Lord, how are you going to take care of this? I don't see how you're going to answer this prayer. I don't, I don't see how you're going to do this. They were asking the same thing. Can God really help us? Can God provide a table for us in the wilderness? Can God feed us out here? Well, that brings us back to Exodus 17. And when we get to Exodus 17, it said, they had journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim. And while they were there, they were just thinking about how God had led them. God had led them out of Egypt from the Red Sea, through the Red Sea. God had led them into the wilderness. God led them to this place, to Rephidim, but there's no water there. And again, they keep struggling, uh, and, and they're upset, and they're quarreling with Moses, and they're saying, you know, here he is. He's, he's doing this to us. It says in verse 2 of chapter 17 of, of Exodus, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. That word quarreled there is the word that means to lodge a complaint or to make a charge. It's kind of like they're, they're, wanting to bring, uh, they're wanting to bring Moses to court. It's like they're wanting to bring Moses to court to charge him with, with a, uh, a failure to take care of them, a breach of the contract. They're ready to sue him and to charge him with treason almost against the nation. And they're saying that Moses has betrayed them. He's brought them somewhere where they could die from thirst. But when you think about it, as Moses says in here, ultimately they're not just mad at him. Ultimately they're mad at God. Ultimately 
they're upset with God because God's the one that led them there. And God's the one that brought them to a place with no water. God's the one that brought them to that situation that looked like a terrible, terrible situation for them to be in. Now, you know, we've done that too, I bet, some of us. Did you ever move to a particular place and take a new job and you got in that new job and all of a sudden that new job looked pretty bad and you think, why in the world did God lead me to this company? Why couldn't I have just stayed where I was? Or to a new city and you get there and you don't like it? Why didn't God just leave me where I was? I was happy there. Ultimately, the people of God here, and we know it too from our own experience, the complaint is ultimately not just against the leader, the human instrument, but against God himself. God had led them there, and God didn't provide water. And was God even trustworthy? Could God be depended upon? And they, they're at that point where they say, basically, we're going to take God, we're going to quarrel with him, we're going to take him to court, we're going to sue God, and if we find him unfaithful, we're going to divorce God. We're going to go back to Egypt and just put up with the gods that they had there. In Exodus 17, they're so angry that they're even thinking about capital punishment for Moses because the, Moses knows it. Moses says, listen, Lord, if you don't do something, they may stone me. Now, this doesn't sound like the people of faith, does it? This doesn't sound like the people of faith. It doesn't sound like they're passing the test. They didn't seem to be trusting God for taking care of them. You remember one time Jesus and the disciples went to Samaria. And they got to Samaria and the Samaritan people didn't want to have anything to do with them. And James and John got so mad at being rejected, they looked at Jesus and they said, Lord, listen, if you want to call down fire, can we call down fire from heaven on these people, on these Samaritans? They haven't offered us hospitality. They've been unkind, ungracious to us. Why don't you just call down fire? Can we call down fire from heaven on, you know? When you, when you have your adversary, sometimes we say, oh man, let's blast these people. Let's blast these enemies of ours. Well, our human reactions. We say, God, why didn't you just blast them for their lack of faith? Look at these people. They didn't believe you. They didn't trust in you. They want to take you to court. They want to sue you. They want to find you unfaithful. And they want to bring charges against you. And what did God say? God said in, in chapter 17 of Exodus, verses 5 and 6, The Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. And take your hand, in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. You know, God said, go in front of this people and take some of the elders with you. And then go to the rock of Horeb and take that staff, the one that you used to strike the Nile, and turn it into blood. And I want you to take that staff 
and go to the big rock of Horeb and then strike the rock and water will come out of it so the people can drink. Now, this is a picture of a people so angry and upset. They're angry at their leader, Moses. They're angry at God. They're angry that everything is God's fault. And instead of trusting God, they want to sue him. But what did God do in response? God's reaction is so different, isn't it? Because what does God do? God says, okay, go in front of the elders, take the staff, go stand at the rock, and strike it, and water will come out, and all the people's need will be met. God didn't blast them, did he? That's kind of what, you know, Lord, get rid of all these people and start all over again. You know, Moses was tempted to say that. Lord, get rid of these people and start all over again. God even said that. I'll just get rid of these people and we'll start all over with you. He says, no, Lord, no, save them. God told Moses to go in front of the people and to do this. And instead of God blasting the people, God's going to answer their prayer. God's going to give them what they need. God's going to give them a rushing stream of water that will come out of the rock and satisfy all those thirsty people. Do you understand what this moment of, of their history was all about? Do you get the underlying meaning that was here? If you think about it, when God's put on trial and everybody wants to get rid of Him, isn't it interesting that God proposes doing something completely different from what you or I would have done. God was willing to put himself at the rock and to be the rock and to be struck with the rod of judgment so that the people could have what they need. Instead of God being blasted, instead of God blasting them, God is the one being blasted. God is the one suffering the judgment. God allowed himself to be struck with the rod of judgment. And you see, that's why I read you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, you know what happened in the wilderness, don't you? He says, when we got to that rock, the rock of Horeb, he said, it was Christ who was there at the, as the rock who was struck. It was Christ who was struck to receive our judgment. Christ was the one who was there to receive the judgment that you and I deserved. The judgment that should have fallen on us fell on Christ. He was struck with the rod of judgment. And God the Father allowed that punishment, that blow, to fall on Him instead of on us. God allowed His Son to be put on trial, to be condemned and to be executed so that the innocent one could die for the guilty and the innocent Lamb of God could take our sins and the innocent God could become our substitute and take our sins away and take our judgment upon himself. The innocent Son of God became the Savior of the world by taking the rod of judgment that fell at the cross that we deserved. Now, if you go back to Exodus and you think about what happened in verse 6, it says, When you strike the rock, water will come out of it 
so that the people may drink. This reminds us of what they did at the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, at the Feast of Tabernacles, which was one of the four major feasts a year, there was a time of reenactment of this very moment. What the people did was there was a day of fasting. There was a day of fasting during the eight days, seven, eight days of the celebration when they all came into town. You remember the Feast of Tabernacles was, it, we think of it as the Feast of Tents. It was a celebration of the fact that the people of God lived in the wilderness for 40 years and God took care of them. It also was a reminder that uh, it was a celebration of the harvest. It was a time to give thanksgiving to God for the barley, the wheat, and the grape harvest. It was a time of celebration. So when the people gathered at the Feast of the Tabernacles, they fasted for a particular time, knowing that they were going to break the fast. But before they did, on the eighth day of the celebration, there was this moment when they got up really early in the morning, very early in the morning, and they all walked to the temple. And then one of the priests would go to the springs and take a golden pitcher to the spring of the well at Siloam and go get the water from Siloam and bring it back. And then at a particular moment of that celebration, he would pour the pitcher, the silver pitcher of water from Siloam and let it run down the steps of the temple. And they would sing from Psalm 118 and they would say, O oh Lord, do save, we beseech you. Oh Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. And then the priest would pour out the water on the steps, reminding them of that moment when the rock was struck and water flowed from the rock and the people's needs were to be met. If you have your Bible in front of you, turn with me to John chapter 7. I want to read you just two verses, just three verses, John um, 7. I want to read you from verses 37 to 39. John 7, 37 to 39. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, at that particular moment, Jesus had come with the crowd early in the morning to the steps of the temple. They were waiting for the priest to come with the silver, with the silver pitcher. And right before the the pitcher was raised and then poured out symbolically upon the steps to reenact that moment from the rock of Horeb when it was struck. Jesus stood up and with a great voice, it says a megaphone. In other words, this great voice, Jesus cries out and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and whoever believes in me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. You see, the Lord Jesus was reminding us at the Feast of Tabernacles and to all those disciples, all those people that were in the crowd, 
If you're really thirsty, come to the Lord and drink. If you're thirsty for life, if you're thirsty for your life to be changed, if you're thirsty to be different from what you've been, come to me and I will change your life. The Lord God had been sued by his people for unfaithfulness, but they were the unfaithful ones. God wasn't the unfaithful one. But God didn't blast his people. Instead, what he did was he took the judgment that we deserved so he could redeem us, sinners like us. If we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if we're thirsty, we can turn to him, right? We can turn to him over and over again. And he will save us and give us the Holy Spirit which will become in us a river of life. And that river of life from Christ will rush inside of us and be a flood, a source of eternal life. And then new life bursts forth from us to others. Isn't that what the Christian life is all about, that we want it to be all about? That the rivers of life will burst forth from all of us and touch our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, our co-workers. And that we ourselves will be different people. That we won't just be like we've always been. That we won't just be the people that we grew up as. But that now we would be different. Because remember what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new person. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Being a new person in Christ means your nature can change. Because you have a new nature. You have a new nature, which is the new nature given to you by God. And the Holy Spirit flows in us and out of us to others. And we have a new power to live a different life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can make us more thankful, more generous to others. The Holy Spirit can make us ready to forgive others that have hurt us or wronged us in any way and help us not to be bitter and unforgiving. The Holy Spirit can make us think more about others than we do ourselves, and He can make us quicker to pray than to complain when we're tempted to. Are you thirsty for change? Not just in your circumstances, but in your nature. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and whoever believes in me, out of his heart shall flow rivers of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us such a promise, the promise of life now and life forever. We pray that we will be those people who are changed by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit living in us will convict and convince us of sin, will guide us into the ways of right living, will make us easier and quicker to blessed than to complain and father it would change our our basic nature change us from the old ways of the flesh into the new ways of the spirit we thank you for your love to us for your mercy for your salvation and we praise you and thank you this day in jesus name amen